When LeBron James flexes his right bicep after a big play or huge win and starts pounding away at it with his left fist, does anyone tell him he's not respecting the game? Does anyone dare tell Stephen Curry he should act like he's been there before when he quite literally dances down court after swishing a 40-foot jump shot? And to any of the hundreds of other NBA and college basketball players, has anyone ever told them to play the game the right way because of an on-court celebration? Even the NFL, so often dubbed the no-fun league over the years, has gone from referees' flags flying left and right on post-touchdown festivities, penalizing players and teams for taunting, using props and group celebrations, to adding the category Celebration of the Year to its annual awards show. This flamboyant, charismatic showmanship is celebrated as part of the game of baseball, wherever it's played, except it seems in the United States, where fans, broadcasters, league executives, and even the players themselves are split on whether such on-field behavior should be welcomed and encouraged, or, as the baseball police would have it, punished and shunned. It sure sounded as if the ESPN announcers were enjoying the 2017 World Baseball Classic when Puerto Rico's Javier Baez put down a no-look tag for an out at second base and Vladimir Ballantyne, a native of Curaçao playing for the Netherlands, flipped his bat after launching a massive home run. Baez, right before he gets the throw, already congratulating Molina. Didn't ever even look at the tag. This guy is one of the best at tagging. This is unbelievable. That one right there was a no-doubter. He sat there at home plate and admired it. Well, now you can celebrate after you elevate. Yeah, he knew that was gone. But when that same Javi Baez was playing for the Cubs and flipped his bat in frustration after popping up against the Pittsburgh Pirates during a game in which he'd already hit two home runs, the reviews, first from SNY's Doug Williams and then his on-air colleague Sal Licata, were mixed. We keep using phrases like, respect for the game and playing the game the right way to educate baseball's youth when in reality you're shrinking its popularity and dissuading young players from having fun, being different, playing loose. I think you may be on to some good points. I, unfortunately, am still old school. I don't like the bat flips. I don't like the over-accentuating of certain things and bringing attention to yourself. If a guy hit a, I don't care if he hit a bomb off me, two bombs, bat flips, I'm drilling him the next time. That's just my logic. That's how I grew up watching baseball. And even in Little League, that was the, you know, that was the idea. You but is it a respect for the game issue? That's really my point. Well, that's it. It's a lack of respect. So, are these acts disrespectful to the game or not? Who gets to make that decision and who are the ones not holding the game of baseball in its proper esteem? Welcome to this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so. On today's episode, we'll examine the arguments for and against the flamboyant showmanship of baseball, exhibited most often in bat flips. We'll hear the case against from those unceremoniously dubbed the baseball police, and then we'll examine who exactly is on what side and how the game of baseball finds itself stuck in the middle, where on one side Major League Baseball airs a promotional video entitled Let the Kids Play, starring Ken Griffey Jr., one of the greatest showmen and center fielders the game has ever seen. They said rules are rules. Don't stop and stare. Don't flip your bat. He didn't earn that right. They called him unprofessional. No celebrating. Keep your head down. Flashy. Immature. Showboat. They said it all. You don't have to do that. Get a little tired of it. It's something you do not do in baseball. No more talk. Let the kids play. And on the other, two innings after the official MLB Twitter account celebrated another black player, Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson, for flipping his bat after a home run, 
Anderson was ejected from a baseball game after getting hit by a pitch and then suspended one game for calling the white pitcher, Brad Keller of the Kansas City Royals, a weak-ass N-word for pegging him. That one pitch from Keller, which caught Anderson in the rear, is what set off a national baseball conversation about what it means to play the game the right way and what happens, or should happen, when you don't. As the unwritten rules of baseball go, one player's celebration means another player, usually a pitcher, is being shown up. Or as Sporting News' Jason Foster wrote, My poor performance embarrasses me, but I'm going to make it your fault. Practically speaking, that usually means someone's going to take a fastball on the backside. Let's rewind now to April 17th of this year, to the fourth inning of a scoreless game between the Kansas City Royals and Chicago White Sox. After hitting a no-doubt-about-it two-run homer, Anderson flung his bat toward his team's dugout. His next at-bat came two innings later, with the game tied 2-2 in the sixth. On his first pitch, Keller plunked Anderson with a 92-mile-per-hour fastball. This led to a bench-clearing incident during which Keller, Anderson, Royals coach Dale Spame, and White Sox manager Rick Ranieri were ejected. Anderson was suspended one game and Keller five. Here are the calls, in order, from NBC Sports Chicago, WGN Radio in Chicago, KCSP 610 Kansas City, and Fox Sports Kansas City. Fun in baseball is not allowed. We have to yell at each other because he flipped his bat because he hit a home run. Why don't you just get him out? That would be the idea, but that's not going to happen. So here comes everybody onto the field. That was on purpose, Darren. Make no mistake about it. Yes, it was. And apparently there are people that have taken exception yeah. to uh, antics from Tim Anderson after hitting the home run. You can't expect it to just be flagrant and flaunt like that, you know, and show your opponent up without any repercussions. It's just wrong. You, you're getting thrown at. You're in danger. Of course you're going to be mad. That's ridiculous. Tim was not the inciter here. No. Everybody do better. After the game, Keller denied he'd hit Anderson on purpose, contrary to the assertions of the Chicago broadcasters, telling reporters the ball got away from him and that he wasn't trying to put a runner on in the sixth inning of a tie game. Royals manager Ned Yost backed Keller's assertion, also denying that Keller purposely threw at Anderson. But why then did the Royals broadcasters mention previous history between Anderson and the Royals, as if to defend Keller's actions? Neither says the ball got away from him. That defense lost the rest of its merit after the game, when Royals second baseman Hunter Dozier told the Kansas City Star that Anderson should have expected to be thrown out after his bat flip and should not have complained about it. I'll just say that's not the player I am. When you do something like that, you kind of know you gotta get, you're going to get hit. And once you get hit, just deal with it, go to first. That's my take on it. Keller did the right thing. He aimed for the lower body, hit him. It should just be like, okay, go to first and move on. It shouldn't have been that big of a situation as it was, in my opinion, but I could be wrong. I don't know. For his part, Anderson was unapologetic after the game, telling the Daily Herald in Chicago that whatever message the Royals were trying to send wouldn't change his approach to the game. I'm going to continue to be me, continue to play the game, the game hard, and uh, I'll know how to play. A couple days later, Former Kansas City Star columnist Lee Judge weighed in, criticizing NBC Sports Chicago play-by-play -play man Jason Benetti for saying the Royals retaliated by hitting Anderson because Fun in baseball is not allowed. Judge then goes on to say that if Anderson gets to have fun on the field and add some excitement to the game, Keller should get to do so too. I'll explain why this argument is utterly inane, but first I'll quote the final line of Judge's piece. Mark your calendars. The Royals play the White Sox in Chicago again on May 27th. Should be interesting. And in fact, it was. 
Because in the final game of what turned out to be a three-game White Sox sweep, Royals pitcher Glenn Sparkman hit Anderson in the brim of his helmet. That was an 86-mile-an-hour pitch. What? That is what? an 86-mile-an-hour pitch. What the? At some point, the White Sox, who are angry right now, will go into their video room and they will see that the pitch was 86 miles an hour. And even with the history that, and someone's gonna tell Tim Anderson eventually that that was an 86 mile an hour pitch, not a fastball. That call courtesy of Fox Sports, Kansas City. Anderson flipped his bat, but did not make any move towards Sparkman. He later said that he saw from Sparkman's expression that the pitch was an accident, a changeup that got away from him. But a pitch getting away from a pitcher puts the first dent in Lee Judge's argument. If Sparkman misses a couple inches lower, the ball doesn't hit the brim of Anderson's helmet. Instead, it hits him square in the face. It wouldn't matter one bit that the pitch was only 86 miles per hour. At best, Anderson would be on the injured list for a while. At worst, he could have been blinded or suffered some other sort of career-ending injury. There is never a guarantee that any pitcher will hit his target, or even come close, whether it's the middle of the plate, the corner, or up and in. So weaponizing a baseball and purposely throwing it at someone does not add excitement to the game. It potentially jeopardizes a player's career. Second, Judge says that if Anderson can add some excitement to the game, why can't Keller? But why would Judge suggest this when Keller and his manager went out of their way to deny Keller threw at Anderson in the first place? Obviously, you can't purposely throw at someone unless you're a fan of paying fines and being suspended, but there are times when you run into problems because your reputation precedes you, and this is the issue at hand with Ned Yost and the Royals. 1. Yost, asked by the Kansas City Star about Sparkman beating Anderson, mentions the history between his team and Anderson, and lets slide that his protestations that the pitch got away from Keller in April were less than forthright. As far as we're concerned coming into this series, we had no animosity toward that young man, none. And to think that we're going to hit him on purpose is ludicrous, one. Two, it was a change-up. You know, it was forgotten. You know, he had done his part, we had done our part. It was done. It was over. There was nothing, nothing. There was no f ill feeling, no ill will, no nothing. It would be totally ignorant on our part to want to hit him again for what? I mean, we don't play that game. We're not like that. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it was done. It was forgotten. And he got under a changeup and hit him in the helmet. And it just, uh, you saw what happened from there. Two, the reporter there follows up by asking Yost if Sparkman, who was making his second start of the season, fifth of his career in that game, was making a pitch to solidify his place in the starting rotation. Three, perception is reality. And Yost's reputation, at least with the White Sox, is less than stellar. Tim gets hit. He looks back at the mound and Sparkman gets ejected. So Mark Carlson knows the history. Maldonado screaming at him. Here comes Ned Yost and off we go. Maldonado's irate. Yost is as well. But frankly, they shouldn't have done what started this in the first place. And so Maldonado's screaming at him. But what do you expect the umpires to do? This guy was involved in a melee. The Royals hit him last time. Then he hits him again. Whether it's intentional or not, they made their bid. Jason Benetti's reaction to the pitch was that it couldn't be examined in a vacuum. Home plate umpire Mark Carlson, who immediately ejected Sparkman from the game, said something similar, telling a pool reporter after the game that the April incident between Anderson and the Royals factored into his decision. 
Anderson stayed in the game and had what turned out to be a game-winning RBI in the eighth inning. He later told reporters the hit was sweet revenge and had this to say when Chicago Tribune reporter Phil Thompson asked for his thoughts on the Royals. I don't like the Royals. I don't like them. It's going to be fair with beef for, for me. But, man, we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to whoop them every time we play them. None of this adds excitement to a White Sox-Royals matchup unless your idea of excitement is a fight on a baseball field. And besides... There are plenty of other ways for pitchers to express themselves on the field. The pitch, swing and a miss on the slider. Double fist pump by Strope as he gets out of the eighth. Swing and a miss to strike him out. Albuquerque doing a big time dance on the mound. These 2015 calls, courtesy of Comcast Sports Network Chicago and Fox Sports Detroit. These pitchers weren't beaned, ejected, or suspended. The benches didn't clear. To my knowledge, no pitcher who's demonstratively celebrated striking a batter out, getting out of a jam, or racking up a meaningful save has received a lecture about the need to play the game the right way or to not show another player up. But Anderson's flip earned all of these, and on top of that, started a national conversation about race. That's because when the benches cleared and Anderson got within earshot of Keller, he called him a weak-ass N-word, something Anderson later confirmed to Sports Illustrated. Major League Baseball said it was those three words, with heavy emphasis on the last one, not any of Anderson's other actions on the field that day that earned him a one-game suspension. Anderson said he didn't appeal the decision because he didn't think he'd receive a fair hearing. He's more than likely right. There are no minorities in the highest decision-making positions in Major League Baseball. Entering this season, only one of the four minority managers in baseball, the Dodgers' Dave Roberts, is black. Ten years ago, five teams had black managers. Twenty-five years ago, the percentage of black players in the majors was nearly double what it is now, 8%. In an essay published in the New York Daily News, Lewis Moore, an associate professor of history at Grand Valley State University, writes that Anderson's demand to exist in the game as his full self is part of a black struggle in baseball that goes back to Jackie Robinson's 1947 debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Robinson was warned then that he'd take abuse from all sides and was advised not to fight back. He never did and neither did any other black player over the next decade. As Moore writes, it put the onus on the black players, not the white ones, to avoid racist violence. Black players, he said, earned their emancipation when they began to fight back, but are still, all these years later, seeking their autonomy in a sport in which their numbers are decreasing. I agree with Moore and with Anderson, who told Sports Illustrated he believes the enforcement of baseball's unwritten rules is a racial issue. An anecdotal sampling of Twitter posts the day Anderson got hit by Keller back up his assertion. Cincinnati pitcher Amir Garrett, who's black, tweeted that baseball players are thin-skinned and wouldn't survive playing another sport, presumably ones that are minority-majority, like the NFL and NBA. Toronto pitcher Marcus Stroman, whose father is black and mother Puerto Rican, once exchanged words with Anderson after striking him out in 2017, sparking a bench-clearing incident. He wrote, I couldn't care less if someone imps one off me. I gave it up. Showing emotion is part of the game. Meanwhile, Stroman's teammate, Randall Grishik, who's white, subtweeted Anderson, writing, Guys are getting a little excessive pimping homers on meaningless homers, too. Act like you've done it before. Both Stroman and Grishik used the same racially charged word, pimping. Two facts about that word. It's derogatory, and the first image that pops to mind when the word is uttered certainly isn't a white man. 
It's also a word that sounds much different depending on the person speaking and hearing it, something Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser spoke about when discussing the N-word on ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. The Joe Torrey and Rob Manfred, they certainly don't get a vote in this. Yeah. They need to leave the N-word alone and any adjudication involving it. It's a very scary word, mm -hmm. very frightening word for white people, mm -hmm. and we don't know what to do around it. Surely, as smart as they are, they must understand. So now we're gonna sit here as black men and have white men tell us when we can or so cannot you... use the N-word. I haven't stopped thinking about this segment since I first heard it, about the culture clash over who should have control over these words and actions. It's made me rethink some other confrontations over bat flips. Ones that, like Anderson getting beaned, led to bench-clearing confrontations, ejections, suspensions, and lectures and opining from broadcasters, players, and managers about playing the game the right way. In September 2013, Milwaukee's Carlos Gomez decided the best way to pay back Atlanta pitcher Paul Mahomes for hitting him with a pitch three months earlier would be to hit a home run off him and follow it with a bat flip. In his first at-bat of the game, Gomez did just that. As he rounded third base, Braves catcher Brian McCann, who'd started establishing himself as the face of the baseball police two weeks earlier by stepping in front of home plate to confront Miami pitcher Jose Fernandez for over-celebrating a home run, did so again. That led to a bench-clearing brawl during which Atlanta outfielder Reed Johnson threw a punch at Gomez. Both Johnson and Gomez were ejected and suspended for a game. McCann was not. Gomez was involved in another similar incident the next season, when he hit what he thought was a home run off Pittsburgh pitcher Garrett Cole. Gomez started loping, and when the ball hit off the center field fence, he was lucky to sprint into third with a triple. Offended by Gomez's lackadaisical approach to getting out of the batter's box, Cole walked over to him and yelled, loud enough for a TV broadcast microphone to pick up, What the And now Garrett Cole and Gomez having some words, and the benches are going to empty. What prompted this as Carlos Gomez is throwing punches and now the Pirates are retaliating. We've got a full-fledged brawl at PNC Park. That call, courtesy of MLB Network. Following the brawl, Major League Baseball suspended Gomez for three games. Cole was not suspended. Last one think this is just about Carlos Gomez. It's not. In 2016, Cubs pitcher John Lackey grumbled over San Diego's Christian Bethencourt, taking a moment to watch a 500-foot tape measure homer, one of eight he hit in his career, telling reporters he has a long memory. So like Tim Anderson, Bethencourt and Gomez weren't allowed to break the code of baseball's unwritten rules. Part of that explanation, former MLB outfielder Johnny Gomes and current Diamondbacks outfielder Adam Jones told ESPN's Tim Kirkjian, is that baseball players have to earn their stripes, like military members moving up the ranks, and that experience earns them liberties to stretch the rules. But those statements don't help explain the uproar Toronto's Jose Bautista caused when he flipped his bat to celebrate what would turn out to be a series-clinching home run in Game 5 of the 2015 American League Divisional Series. He launched the ball into the upper deck of the Rogers Center to give the Blue Jays the lead for good in their first playoff series-clinching victory in 22 years. MLB's official Twitter account commemorated the occasion by posting a video of the play with the caption hashtag THIS in all caps and bestowed Batista, or Joey Bats as he was sometimes called, with a new nickname, Joey Batflip.
run, courtesy of Fox Sports, capped a 50-minute inning that had already seen a controversial call overturned in favor of the Texas Rangers, after which the Toronto crowd threw trash on the field, causing the game to be delayed for several minutes. For Batista, 2015 was a banner year, during which he made his sixth straight All-Star appearance and hit 40 home runs for the third time in six seasons. So based on the meritocratic explanation of who gets to celebrate, Batista had more than earned that right. Instead, Rangers pitcher Sam Dyson approached the next batter, Edwin Encarnacion, and told him Batista needs to respect the game a little more, and that Batista's behavior was, quote, unacceptable. Encarnacion said he told Dyson Batista was rejoicing, and after the game, Batista refused to respond to Dyson's comments. In the other clubhouse, Texas manager Jeff Bannister doubled down, saying, My team's perspective is that we play the game right, hard, all 27 outs. We respect everybody. So, despite 12 years in the league, six all-star appearances, and four seasons in which he hit more than 35 home runs, Bautista somehow didn't have the stripes to break baseball's unwritten rules. And this may have to do with the color of his skin. Like the other players mentioned for their disregard for the sports code, Tim Anderson, Javi Baez, Christian Bethencourt, and Carlos Gomez. Bautista isn't white. Those who lecture or criticize them for their actions, Jeff Bannister, Hunter Dozier, Sam Dyson, Randall Grishik, John Lackey, Sal Licata, Brian McCann, and Ed Yost, you guessed it, are all white. However, McCann did acknowledge after Bautista's bat flip that's, quote, where the game's at, and that because umpires are now quicker to issue warnings and ejections, it's opened the door for more flamboyant behavior. While the percentage of black players in Major League Baseball has plummeted in the past 30 years, the number of other minorities, particularly Asian and Latin Americans playing the sport, has skyrocketed. It's led, in my opinion, to a culture clash and racial retrenching similar to what the United States has been going through since Barack Obama became a serious contender in the 2008 presidential campaign. Even though baseball executives have continued to encourage players to show off their individual personalities, some players, broadcasters, and even fans have been slow to accept anything that looks different than what they're used to, when it's black and Latino players who are expressing their own flair and showmanship. It's as if baseball will lose its history and sense of culture if we allow bat flips or no-look tags. And that's where the pushback and the arguments to be humble and to respect the game come from. It's a fight against a generation of players who look and act differently and have a contrasting view about what it means to honor and respect the game of baseball. But have we really lost something if players think that the best way to honor the game of baseball is to play it with their utmost joy? Is that such a bad thing? I think not. Culture, whether it's in baseball or society, is not a zero-sum game. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell a version of nostalgia of a past that no longer exists if it ever did, and is bound to face fierce resistance because, like Tim Anderson said after getting beaned and ejected following his bat flip against the Royals, he's not going to change. He's going to continue to be him. A week and a half later, he proved he's undaunted, flipping his bat again to celebrate a home run against Detroit. There were no bean balls, no lectures, no ejections, just a bunch of happy White Sox players mobbing Anderson at the plate to celebrate a victory. And that's what baseball, to me, should look like. My perfect baseball game would include a Tim Anderson bat flip and some defensive wizardry from Javier Baez. Then the whole stadium could stand for the seventh inning stretch to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, with Cookie Monster singing courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. Today, C is for Cubbies! 
Before Pedro's stroke took the mound, Ballcap turned slightly askew over his left eye to strike out the side and do a big double fist pump to celebrate the save. Then everyone could leave Wrigley Field thinking that was a game worth paying to see. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was voiced, written, produced, and edited by me, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.